Welcome back to the Martial Arts Media Podcast. I'm AJ. And I'm Gavin. Hello, Gavin. How are you feeling? You know what? Uh, awesome. So we were just talking briefly before we started recording. I'm exhausted. I didn't sleep well last night, but I am just super, super busy, but I'm loving every second of it. Uh, I'm officially in full swing as an official college instructor at Fresno City College. Uh, I had what would be kind of like my first real lecture yesterday. Oh, uh, nice. Two week, or so the week before was my first class where it was kind of just introductions. Yesterday was my first lecture on uh, the basics of story structure and uh, the inciting incident. And I got to screen one of my all-time favorite films, Leon the Professional, and the students all really dug it. Uh, I feel they all really, they understood the basic concept, which was the goal of the class. And yeah, it's uh, I'm loving it. So now for me, with my two jobs, my other teaching job and this one, uh, I'm now working what would be the equivalent of 40 hours a week again. So I'm like, yeah, and, but it's also just an adjustment because I'm kind of working at like three different places. So I work mm-hmm. at an elementary school. Then uh, I work on campus at the Fresno City College. And then I'm also working from home on the weekends. That's where I do like a ton of my lesson planning. And, you know, I have to watch all the, the movies I'm screening and dissect them and prepare them for my lectures and this and that. So I love every second of it, but it's also just the adjusting to that and the fact that I'm still training twice a day, six days a week. Uh, so I'm a little exhausted. I'm a little, I'm a little tired. I'm still adjusting every week. I'm like, all right, this is my new schedule. And then the next week I'm like, oh crap, I got to change this around. And uh-huh. so it, it's just been a bit of a juggle. And I knew that's what was going to happen, which is why even at, uh, the Muay Thai gym, I let, uh, crew know. He's like, cause he said, oh, when would you want to fight again? I'm like, not till March at the earliest. Like, uh-huh. uh, and that, that was what I was, I was implying, you know, probably slight language barrier, but I was implying that that's when I'd want to start training again for a fight because I knew it was going to take some time to get used to my schedule when I can fit in all like, you know, my conditioning training with the Muay Thai training, with my hot yoga, which is an essential for me with, you know, making sure I have enough time to do all my prep for, uh, my lectures and, you know, I also meet with my advisor every week, who's uh, been a great resource for kind of uh, holding my hand along this first semester of teaching community college. So uh, he's been awesome. And yeah, so just busy, busy, but loving every second of it. It's 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 the first, you know, I'm finally doing the dream job, the career, right? And it's, it's a bit surreal. I was sitting there yesterday uh, as we were screening the movie. So, you know, it's like I lecture for 30 minutes, we screen the movie, and then I lecture for 30, 45 minutes. And I was like, am I is this really happening? Am I getting paid to do this? And it like, you know, keep in mind, I'm also doing a ton of work on the weekend stuff, you know, where I obviously I have to read through all my notes, all my textbooks, uh, create my slides and do all this. But the fact that I'm getting paid to do what I love, I'm like, you know, I feel pretty darn lucky. I feel pretty blessed, blessed, hashtag blessed. <laughs> well, I'm really happy to hear that. I can, uh, yeah, that, 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 uh, that surreal feeling. Yes. And it's, it's I, a special I wanna, one. I want to say my students are awesome too. Like uh, even the first day when we did kind of an AMA, they they asked such insightful questions. Uh, I was like, wow, this this group is, uh, they're, they're an, uh, an awesome group of young, brilliant minds. And so I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited to have them. They, they seem enthused, even the ones that aren't necessarily that into film, you know, and it's tough because it's a Friday morning, 9am class, which I know for a lot of them is tough. I see them come in. I'm like, Hey guys, I know it's Friday. I know it's 9am. Like the look on some of their faces is like half asleep. Like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I've been there. I get it. I know. Uh, I wake up now at 5am on Fridays to work out first before I go in to teach. Cause, uh, 
my my mind and body and soul don't properly wake up if I don't work out first thing in the morning or before I'm doing everything else. So that's also been an adjustment. So like, you know, uh, now I'm back to waking up early every day, which I love, right? But it's, you know, four days a week, it's, you know, waking up at six to 6.30 and then like, or like two days a week, it's five to 5.30. So uh, yeah, but life's good, man. Just busy, busy. That's why I <laughs> we recorded what would now be like a week and a half ago and I didn't get the chance to drop the episode. So our last one will actually drop. We're going to start doing Mondays again. And uh, this is our official announcement for now. We're probably going to do bi-weekly uh, for a little bit. So every two weeks instead of our every week, just for consistency and just because Gavin is also super busy at work. And who knows, we may record weekly for a while and that'll be great. So we won't miss any of our bi-weekly schedules. Then maybe in a couple months time, we can go back to uh, you know the the weekly drops or maybe even like getting guests on and where I fill in with the extra episodes like that. But uh, otherwise, that's what's going on with me. Uh, life is life is beautiful, as Roberto Benini would say. Well, that sounds chantastic. Chantastic for January. <laughs> and bi-weekly drops, this might just make it into January. Oh, it, it may, it may be. Oh yeah, that's right. So maybe I will have to do it. Uh, but you know, well, technically, technically this is also a Chinese new year, Phil. This, that is, it is very, that is true. And also the, the bad city episode, which people have already listened to it by this point, we just announced it the bi-weekly starting with this episode. So in theory, you could drop it in January or in. I like that. Chan. I'm trying to blend Chan, Chan in February. Jack, uh, Jack, uh, <laughs> it doesn't really work as well. No. Uh, but yeah. And before I forget anybody that's in, uh, Northern California or California, anywhere, I will be going to the, uh, San Francisco Chinese new year parade this year. I've officially got my tickets. It's one of the biggest parades in the world and it is for year of the dragon. So I could not miss it. So I will be in Chinatown, uh, the weekend of, February, I think it's on the 24th. Uh, mm -hmm. So yeah, I will be there. Oh, because that's the same weekend that you are going to a special screening with uh, perhaps with Jeff Wincott, right? Yes, there, he's in a, there, his film is in a festival, a film festival down in uh, Los Angeles. I believe screening at the Man's Chinese Theater on okay. somewhere on the, around the 24, 26. But as we inch closer to that, I'll, uh, we'll, you know, it'll make the, the news with more detail. Excellent. Yeah. So we'll both be having uh, good weekends. But anywho, yeah, if anybody's in San Francisco area uh, wants to hang out, I'll definitely will be there that Sunday, too, for like kind of the festival and just hanging out. And uh, I just officially got my email back from the random company I ordered uh, clothes from from China. So uh -huh. my outfit should be here in time. My shoes already arrived from Puma. So uh, I'll be decked out for Chinese New Year. But very cool, like classy decked out. I was like, no, nah, I'm not buying cheap stuff. I'm not buying hokey stuff. I'm buying like nice, slick, uh, stylish gear or uh, oh, what do my students say? My my elementary school students. Oh, my gosh. I'm like a whole generation behind now with the terminology. Uh, not you got swag. No, that would have been too old. They say, you got drip. You got drip, dog. You got drip. <laughs> I got my fifth graders uh, in my after school program. You got drip, man. How how much how much of those shoes? How much of those pants? How much? It's like they, they're fixated with how much everything costs. They're like, man, I, you got some drip. You got drip, dog. And I'm like, uh, thank you. Very nice. Yeah. Your fits got drip. Oh, 
Anywho, uh, I've been rambling all and all about me. Let's talk all about you. Well, every everything's going well. Like I said, uh, chan, uh, chantastic. Uh, we're started. We're well into the new year here at our school, and uh, it, you know, audition season for the kids uh, for January. So they're doing. They're they're keeping extremely busy trying to open up some doors towards their professional career. Hopefully, hopefully, uh, we'll see some breakthrough for some of them. Um, got to go up and train with Petey on our day off. Uh, Dr. King Lucky. Day, we had the Lucky day off you. here, so got up and was able to train with Petey. And Petey, Sugarfoot Cunningham, by the time this drops, it'll be two weeks past, but he's in Cleveland right now doing a, a seminar. Uh, and it turns out he's doing a seminar with a friend of a friend uh, because uh, our Sifu in um, in Las Vegas, Don Nyam, texted uh-huh. me say, saying that his friend reached out because you know Don's originally from uh, Ohio as well, reached out and was uh, was uh, hosting uh, the PD workshop. So small world, it, that but that's the martial art world is small. Yep, and that was that was kind of one of my uh, I shouldn't say New Year's resolutions, but something I said I was going to get back into. Which last year and even really for my my last fight, I wasn't doing any of what I would call my my sugar foot training. So now I'm back to doing that two week two days a week, which is fitting in like more training time. Right. So it's like yeah. a little less in the Muay Thai gym, a little bit more on my own at, you know, uh, the fitness gym, which has a whole heavy bag area. So I've been getting back into my, my sugar foot techniques and loving it and, uh, applying them and sparring again. And it's been great. It's been great. I, I miss training with sensei and I just awesome. wish it was easier to, you know, I even I, said, I was like, Oh, I'm gonna make it down more on weekends, but now with my new schedule and with teaching at uh, the college, it's like weekends are kind of where I'm doing most of that work. So yes. it's tough. Hopefully still once a month, I can try to make it down. Excuse me. I was thinking of maybe trying to come down for the LA uh, Chinese New Year parade. Okay. So we'll That's, see. That sounds good to me. It's the weekend before the San Francisco one. So yes. uh, we'll have to wait and see. All right, keep me posted. But yeah, I, I there's really something special about training with PD, and and I didn't get to do it as much this last year, um, as much as I wanted. And uh, this last training session, really good. I mean, you're always going to get a good workout, but also some real key. Uh, he drops knowledge every now and then. You know, he doesn't. It's not every week. He's not going to pepper you with knowledge every every week or every class. But he knows when to just drop a little uh, food for thought into your mind and it sticks with you and a little a little nugget a little chicken nugget if you will yeah. food for thought so that that's what's going on things are things are going well right on my man right on so uh no movie news off the top of my actually no i take that back uh i marathoned the brother's son oh how was that fantastic now it, uh, once again i'm always honest i'm not you know a lot of our uh, people online especially if they're kind of pseudo or amateur critics they some be, they'll kiss butt, right? Like to anybody they like, even if they don't really think that way, they'll give good reviews and stuff. And so here's my 100% honest review. Absolutely loved the show. Fantastic. The fight scenes were technically great, but but they felt a lot like a lot of the other kind of Hollywood slash Netflix stuff that's out there. So absolutely nothing wrong with them, but only a couple of them really made me go, woo. Like, otherwise, I'd watch them and be like, well, that was technically very sound. And the actors give it their all uh, great, not just uh, martial arts performances, but the acting is fantastic. Uh, 
uh, Justin Chan, who plays one of the leads, is is amazing. So uh, I can't think of the other actor's name right now. Uh, it's pretty much two relative unknowns that are, are cast as uh, the the two brothers in the series. But so fight wise, like I mean, once again, good fights. But my, my honest thing would be like, what, what would I rate them? Uh, easily a B because they're 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 solid. Everyone does a great job. But it was not like anything really stood out to me mm -hmm. and that could be partially me being jaded and me being such a you know martial arts movie nut and so forth there was one sequence where there's one actor who i believe is a real life like kung fu practitioner and he does a bunch of kung fu shapes uh and so forth during his fight and that was the one where i was like oh yeah uh and because it, it kind of showed right it was more like of an authentic kung fu style but uh other than that the series itself is fan fantastic the story and so i i related to some of my friends you know we we here in the west we have a whole like subgenre of you know mafia films and we've got trashy mafia movies we've got mm -hmm. action mafia movies we've got even comedy ones but we also have like stellar uh, like award-winning ones of martin scorsese and so forth it's like a whole subgenre very serious beautiful amazing uh, critically acclaimed films. In Japan, it's similar with the Yakuza films, right? You've got your trashy ones we've talked about. You've got your straight-to-video ones. You've got, uh, you know, kind of exploitive action ones. But then you've also got very serious ones, uh, you know, high-caliber ones, right? And when it comes to triad films from Hong Kong, I mean, that's kind of a subgenre too, but they are, it's never really they're either just straight up action movies or very melodramatic, but it's not as tied into the triad culture authentically, in my opinion, if that makes sense. Whereas with the Yakuza films, you're getting more of that real like Yakuza nature, same thing with Mafia, like the inner workings of the the Italian, you know, mafiosa and so forth. And so with the triad films, I've always felt it's kind of like it's either just a setup for action or a setup for melodrama that could have been put into any other setting. This is one of the first ones where it really dives deep into the actual triad culture, in my opinion, similar to that of like Yakuza and like the honor and humanity and brotherhood and uh, the logistics of it, how it works, the ins and outs. And that's why I think it's maybe one of the best triad uh, series ever or you know i guess you uh try it in the media right like because it's not film it's a, a series on netflix but still it's one of the best depictions of the chinese triads in my opinion because the story is also just so well written it's uh there's a lot of great twists and turns and stuff you don't see coming and the performances are fantastic michelle yo is fantastic and i also like how michelle yo is primarily in fact like 90 percent of the time just acting she's not a action performer in this one uh slight spoiler alert she has one small kind of fight scene but it's much more of a scrap she's not like uh her usual uh flowy martial arts self it's she has a like a hardcore scrappy fight scene uh like a fight for survival literally so uh the the more martial arts based stuff is in the hands of justin chen and uh some of the other performers but uh, and, 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 and it's streaming on Netflix, correct? Yes. I, I'm uh, definitely going to, you know, hearing hearing you talk about it, I'm definitely going to give it a shot for sure. Oh, yeah, you definitely. It sounds, like definitely it, it sounds essentially like a total package. So even if the, it's it sounds like it has a great story, great production value. And then for people like us, the added value of, of having great, good, well done, well executed fight scenes, even if they don't tip uh, tip the scales in the a, into the A plus zone, having those within a total package uh, project sounds sounds like it's something right up my alley. 
and the other actor I was referring to is Sam Lee. So it's Justin Chan and Sam Lee, two relative unknowns that do phenomenal. And I also nice. like that the series really is almost like 50-50 English and Mandarin. So okay. a lot of Mandarin in subtitles. Uh, and then just and a lot of the other performers who are relatively new are, are great. And then there's some just fantastic supporting characters. Then there's also some familiar faces, especially in the last couple episodes. Some of the, the old triad bosses, uh, no spoilers, but are played by... Uh, if you if you know martial arts cinema, but more so actually Western martial arts cinema, you'll recognize some of these gents, but just very, very good. Uh, highly enjoyed it. So that'd be my uh, biggest bit of martial arts movie related news right now is go watch The Brother's Son. Definitely support that. Uh, I'd love to see a second season. But the nice part is they left it on kind of one of those those open endings that can easily finish a series or lead to the next one. So in case it doesn't get picked up, it's not that dreaded, no, what happened? It's uh -huh. sort of like a, a, a much more open-ended type thing where it's like, this could be the last episode or we could get renewed for a second season. Nice. So I think that's a smart way of doing it because you never know these days, unfortunately. Well, and like, you know, like I was recently, recently watching another series, uh, well, Yellowstone. And what was what I appreciated about that is when I got to the end of I think the second or third season, I was able to just walk away from it, saying I, I've had my fill, not because I didn't like the show, but because I felt like the cycle, the, the story arc had completed enough for me. I can always go back to it. So I like it when uh, shows end with that, with that natural ending where more could be tacked on, or that natural ending where if it ends here. It's not a cliffhanger. So um, it's it's not an easy way to end a project. It, it, there's a lot of balance that goes in there, leave, either leaving fans hanging or demanding that fans have to continue to watch. Yeah, and the nice thing about this one is, as I said, the, the fight scene's definitely solid B, and Justin Chan is a relative uh, unknown. He also has a real martial arts background, which makes him such a great performer. Uh and the physicality he puts into it and stuff. Yeah, as, as I said, there's the there's a few fight scenes that did catch my attention. Like, ooh, but some, none of them are bad. None of them are bad. It's just some of them are, you know, they feel to me kind of like, okay, this is like what we've seen on other series or this yeah. or that. And that's just be, me being highly critical. Uh, so I just want to make it clear that I enjoyed the fight scenes. I just hope maybe next season I can have a little more stuff that stands out. So for my, my one thing is, for example, there's a side character named Blood Boots. And in his one big fight scene he gets, he's doing a ton of like traditional Kung Fu shapes, like almost like Baji Chuan looking like elbows. And, you know, uh -huh. you see the, the his rhythm and his timing is very Kung Fu-esque. Uh, and I just like that. That's from me being an old school Kung Fu movie uh, nut, though. You know what I'm saying? So that's just a personal preference thing. But overall, fantastic series. The action's fantastic. And one thing I do want to point out before we move on uh, is the fact that I also liked how dark and violent it is, too. I mean, it's a great mix of real drama, heartfelt drama, but then also some lighter comical elements to it. But like black comedy, right? It's It, mm -hmm. it never goes goofy or anything. But And then it, it's also really violent, like, because it's realistic as to, like, this. these are the triads. They are, you know not necessarily good people. <laughs> so yeah, great series. Couldn't recommend it enough. Uh, really hoping it gets picked up for a second one. I, I love both the leads, Justin Chan, Sam Lee. He was great. They're both polar opposites. They're brothers. Remember, one's a badass, one's a total nerd. So they both do amazing in their respective roles. So 
uh, I recommend that. But anyways, let's move on to the movie we're talking about today. Are you ready to discuss? Oh, I'm always ready to discuss. We actually touched on this movie once before. It is in one of our comfort films mm-hmm. list. Uh, so yeah, you want to talk about this film? It's like being, time. It's like being touched by an angel. <laughs> yes. That, that's you? a throwback for people that don't know that was a TV series in the 90s. Yes. I'm assuming most people remember Touched by an Angel, right? Jane Seymour and... Or no, no Jane, Jane Seymour was Dr. Dr. Queen Medicine Woman, yeah, which so was wait, either before was tu- or after. But wait, which, who was touched by an angel then? Uh, Della Reese? Oh, yeah. Wait, but there was three of them, right? Yeah, there, there were three angels. Oh my gosh, now I got to look it up. Because there was the white guy and then... Uh, oh, hold on. This it was is like, what oh, okay, people... it was Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman, and then it was Diagnosis Murder oh, uh, yes. with Dick Van Dyke. These were like the three uh, syndicated ones that were always on like, what, Kate, what was that? CBS that, with Viacom. That, and yeah, then PAX. PAX, that's what it was. And that was that, was that the one out of Chicago? I think so. Okay. And, this is, and I want to say, while well, AJ looks up the cast for, of uh, Touched by an Angel, this is why people <laughs> tune into the Martial Arts Video <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, you're. So, uh, and it was John Die. That's right. So John Die played uh, a household name. Yeah, Andrew. But I just remember from '80s stuff. But you're right, Della Reese, and then it was Roma Downey. Yes, okay, Roma see, Downey. I can see how I mixed up in my head, but I caught that. That okay. Anywho, uh, let's go back to what we're talking about. We are talking about <laughs> the 1993 uh, <laughs> Hong Kong goofy martial arts uh, comedy. I guess you could say classic. It's a classic for me, City Hunter. So once again, released in 1993, directed by Wong Jing, but really you got to say co-directed by Jackie because from every yeah. interview you watch when it came to the action scenes, Wong Jing was not even around. So really co-directed by Wong Jing and Jackie Chan, uh, written by Wong Jing for sure. Uh, it's an adaptation of a popular manga and anime at that yes. point, right? Uh, City Hunter uh, and the character of, is it Ryu Sabe or... Uh, Ryu, how do you pronounce it? Do you know or Ryo? Uh, yes, I do, but I need to now see it. Um, oh my goodness! You need to see the kanji. No, no, I need to see the <laughs> the the touch by an angel threw me off of my notes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ryo Saeba. Uh, oh, okay. Saeba. They just call him City Hunter throughout the whole English dub. Yeah. Like near, near, near. City Hunter, City Hunter. Yeah, it's so got a great the, theme. The, the, anime, the anime was playing on TV uh, when I was in Japan in junior high school or elementary school, like right on the cusp of of those of those two. Uh, so like late eighties, early nineties. Yes. Mm. So uh, I would go home and catch it on TV. Um, and so I, I was, you know, exposed to like the cool, over the topness, funness. I wasn't a huge anime watcher. It was on everywhere. So uh, I had a, a was it spoil of riches or something when it came to animes? It just it's on TV. You get home from school around four o'clock. You can turn on TV, and there's City Hunter, there's Rama Nibunoichi or. Uh, Rama hat one one over two. I don't know what they called it in America, uh, but a lot of great shows. My my personal favorite was uh, Rupan, but uh, hey, City Hunter was. Note. So yes. in, like so, for example, America Saturday morning cartoons was the was it the equivalent in Japan Saturday morning anime? No, because Saturday morning we were usually at school. School in Japan was six days a week. Oh, that's right. I remember hearing that as a kid and being like, what? 
But okay, so sorry, keep going. Yeah, no, so, yeah, so it would usually be on in the afternoon before the uh, evening shows. And then Saturday evening had, it was more like Saturday evening had mm. your main, your biggest anime shows. Got it. So, oh. so yeah, this yeah. was a, a popular character. Very uh, popular. And apparently from something I read, uh, it was like the Jackie Chan fan club in Japan. And this is, a, th- at this time, Jackie was ginormous in Japan throughout the 80s and yes. early mid 90s he was huge like he had you know uh sponsorship deals uh with which one was his was it Nissan or no he was uh, Toyota uh, Mitsubishi Mitsubishi there we go so i mean he was massive in Japan huge oh and he yeah he Gavin could tell you from living there at that time right he was and that's yeah, how you I got mean, he was to it. he was he was the the 90s cool yeah. Like eight, late 80s, early 90s, whatever he was doing, that was that was the trend. So um, they pretty much did a poll of like, what would you want to see Jackie adapt pretty much as far as anime? And it was voted City Hunter. It's like, all right, let's do City Hunter. So it's uh, the Hong Kong Mole Tao interpretation mm-hmm. of a Japanese anime, which I guess is almost kind of the interpretation of the like cool American detective, maybe a bit like. It would it would almost be if there was a little more immaturity in Miami Vice, it would be like Miami ah. Vice because City Hunter even dressed like uh Crockett. Nice. Right? So it, 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 he was cool, but he was also extremely aloof, extremely uh I don't want to say self-centered, but whatever his need was in the in the anime as well as in the film, whatever his need was is what got his full focus. So if his need was food and he was hungry, that was it. If his need was to get the attention of any woman who's walking down the street, that was it. If his need was to uh, all of a sudden pull out his gun and shoot a rifle out of a sniper's hand that's a mile away, that was his main focus. So he was a singularly focused man. And, and so they actually reflect that pretty well in the movie because like all yes, those they things do. you're mentioning they, they, are in the film. Yes. So they, they, they must have done their research a bit because basic premise is Jackie plays this womanizing detective, city hunter, city hunter. Uh, it's it's insinuated. It's I guess it's supposed to be based in Japan. It never really says. It's obviously filmed in Hong Kong. They did <laughs> yeah, the fil- the finale, the very last scene in Japan, as was the cruise ship exterior stuff. But really, the beginning of the film is obviously Hong Kong. But so he's this, you know, smooth talking ladies man detective. But the thing is, he actually is a ladies man, like all the the women in the movie fall for him. And but he's always getting himself into trouble because the, the woman he really likes, his assistant, uh, you know, he always as much as he claims he's going to be loyal to her suddenly a girl walks by and as you said his singular focus is "Ooh, pretty lady yes and, uh, so, and i think they covered in the very opening of the film but also in the in the anime essentially the character is forbidden from ever right. pursuing her so therefore he has this protective care love for her but will not pursue her and then he just pursues everything else so it's his former partner who got killed it's his cousin i think right and yeah. city hunter has to protect her so in the opening sequence of the film it's like a really goofy flashback and that's the thing to keep in mind this whole time it's not only the mole tao as we talked about the cantonese kind of slapstick uh obnoxious humor genre of like the, the stephen chow movies and stuff because it's wong jing that wrote and directed this one of the kings mm-hmm. of that like sub or that movement of Hong Kong cinema. It's uh, a lot of that style of humor, but also through 
like they're trying to replicate almost the feel of a manga or an anime. So some of these sequences are they're actually kind of artistic, like and like if it's a flashback sequence, it doesn't necessarily need to be set in reality. It's set almost yeah. like in a dreamlike landscape. There is a whole sequence of Jackie dream, or excuse me, City Hunter dreaming at the beginning of the film where he's unconscious from what appears to be booze and pills. Uh, <laughs> there's there's definitely some darker elements to this of his character that wouldn't be part of a normal Jackie film. But I feel like he gets away with that because it's through uh, this very unrealistic setting. Like, oh, see, this isn't real. This isn't real. Jackie's playing a comic book character. He's literally mm -hmm. playing a cartoon, right? So that's why they can get away with some of this type of stuff. Whereas in previous films, even something like Dragons Forever, you know, it's been theorized that maybe one of the reasons it didn't do as well, like, for example, in Japan, is because his character in that film is also uh, slightly unethical womanizing lawyer, right? Whereas yeah. in this, it's almost like, hey, it's a beloved Japanese uh, anime character, uh, that's the character. So it's not Jackie. We don't have to, it's not Jackie. It's, it's, it's city hunter. He's just playing city hunter, right? Yeah. So I feel like that's how they are get, able to get away with stuff. But anyways, uh, the opening sequence uh, is a flashback to his partner getting killed, played by Michael Wong, who makes him promise to take care of his cousin, but never seduce her. And then she grows up and he realizes, you know, he's like, oh yeah, man, too bad I can't seduce her. And she's in love with him. Uh, and so that's kind of the, uh, one of the, the catalysts for the, him setting off on his journey, if you will, as the protagonist, mm -hmm. but he, they're also hired to uh, him and his assistant to find a Japanese billionaire newspaper uh, magnet's daughter who's missing. So in the process of chasing her and then in the process of also offending his assistant, who's just given up on him ever loving her, they all end up on a luxury cruise ship that happens to be getting taken over by terrorists at the same time, led by the great Richard Norton as Colonel MacDonald, with his main assistant being Gary Daniels. Uh, there's also an undercover, uh, never clearly stated, but it's assumed like detective played by uh, Ching Mai Yao uh, and her assistant, who's played by a Japanese actress I'm not familiar with. So we have this whole lovely cast of characters. You've got Leon Lai in there as a uh, a an homage to the kind of God of gambler type mm -hmm. movies that were popular at that time. And also Wong Jing projects. He's uh, a slick talking, you know, expert gambler. Who's also great at Kung Fu. And so you've got all these different characters that end up on this ship for a bunch of hijinks, but really what, also ends up being some stellar action sequences. Yes. You just have to wait about 30 minutes before you get to the first real one. Yeah. And the thing is there, there's a lot of action in this film. Uh, but AJ's right. You're waiting until like about 20 or 30 minutes in to get to an action, to a fight sequence. But there's, there are other, there are other stunts along the way that there's a lot to appreciate and a lot of uh, fun, like the Jackie doing the, while well, he's cuffed, doing the headstand on top of his car, flipping oh, over the car. Such a little thing, but it's, you watch that and you're like, that is so phenomenal. And he, he makes, he makes some, uh, we've talked about this before, he makes some stuff look so easy. You think, oh yeah, it's not that impressive. Or, oh, that's not that hard of a stunt. But then when you think about it, wait, he did a flip on his head on the seat of a motorcycle, which the balance that takes and to not knock over the motorcycle. And like that, that's just such a crazy, unique little stunt that obviously mm -hmm. he did himself. It's a one take and you see him do it. Yep. It, 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 so there's a lot of stuff like that thrown throughout. There's a skateboarding sequence, which I believe that just like in Wheels and Meals, when you don't, when you see Jackie on the skateboard, but not his feet, it's because he's in roller skates because he's a very good roller skater. Uh, yeah. And the funny part is, so 
side note, well, let, let's talk about the the first time we ever watched this movie. So for me, my first version of this film would have been late 90s, early 2000s. I had the Tai Sang video of okay. VHS release. Thanks, Frank Jang. Uh, I'm actually, actually, I was just texting him this morning. We're going to be meeting for uh, dinner uh, that weekend when I'm in Chinatown for the Chinese New Year. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. So anyways, I had the Tai Sang VHS version. So the reason I bring that up is... So yeah, it was the first time I saw it. I loved the movie. Uh, me and my uh, dad's house best friend, as I say, uh, Eric, used to watch it. And it was just so goofy. I think that's why we were into it, because we were goofy middle schoolers, right? Mm -hmm. uh, when we saw it. And there was just the, the wackiness of it. Like, had I first seen this film as an adult, I don't think I would, I would have, I wouldn't have disliked it, but I wouldn't have you know, loved it like I did back then. Because even when I watch it now, I'm like, oh, I still am highly entertained by this. But, I, you know, I also have that nostalgia factor. But when we used to watch it when we were kids, it was because we were so irreverent kind of in our own minds and the way we thought of comedy and, you know, our, our SNL inspired humor and this and that, like it just mm -hmm. kind of suited us at that time. And it's, uh, so yeah, we used to watch, it on VHS. Eventually, Fortune started the DVD re release a few years later, which I got in high school. But my point being is, so you watch the original VHS version, you don't see as much of the doubling in this film, whether it's Jackie being doubled, uh, Gary Daniels being doubled, uh, or <laughs> Richard Norton being doubled. Mm -hmm. uh, but then you move on to the DVD version, you start to notice a little bit more. Then you move on to the beautiful Eureka Blu-ray I have now, and you see it very clearly, specifically the skateboard sequence you yeah. just mentioned. There's a like you're there's just no you're like, oh wow, there's they're not even trying to hide it. That is yeah, obviously does, does a you and Biel, uh, yeah. skateboard. Because <laughs> the body type changes significantly. Oh, the body type, the the it's kind of like the Thanks. neck and head and hair. It's like, okay, yeah. But I mean uh, it's, it's like, one of those there's sequences that you know. I know Jackie's in charge of the action and Wong Jing's in charge of of all the hijinks, but there's sequences where you're like, I don't think Jackie was there that day. Wong Jing wanted some pickup shots because that looks like a Stephen Chow uh, set. Yes. Set comedy piece. Uh, and, and it's interesting because even like you understand why some of the stuff's getting doubled. And apparently Jackie had some injuries, so that's why Mars doubled him. But then he still does a lot of the crazy stuff that motorcycle head flip you're talking about. He does this when the fight starts with Richard Norton and they're on the poker table. He does this very impressive backwards jump onto his back to a kip up. Mm -hmm. uh, that's you know, and at that age, Jackie was just about to turn forty and still was able to do that with such ease. Uh, but then there's like a sequence where he's, you know, moonwalking while fighting Richard Norton, and you could tell that it's Mars doubling him. And that could yeah. have been because Jackie needed to get behind the camera, too. Uh, and then even with, uh, and Richard Norton even talks about it in the behind-the-scenes interview, yes. like they wanted to double him for some parts or for pickup shots because it'd be quicker, and he had no problem. He's like, okay, yeah, sure. But he actually, and Jackie's talked about this, uh, as everybody knows, one of the reasons Jackie liked Richard Norton so much and invited him back to do this film after them working together briefly, them together on Twinkle Twinkle Lucky Stars. And then again, Mr. Nice Guy is, he said, Richard Norton is maybe the best of any of the Western performers to have the rhythm, right? Yeah. The rhythm. And like, obviously, some have greater martial arts abilities, like even Gary Daniels, you look at his kicking abilities are phenomenal. But Richard Norton had that rhythm. And there's certain behind the the headshots 
where 99% of the time, if it's a foreigner doing it, they're going to double them just for logistics, just for uh, time reasons. But in this film, you can clearly see on some of the shots, it's Richard doing it. So the fact that they let him do some of those very intricate uh, hand like trapping scenes, and then you like, you see him turn it up where it's like, oh, that's Richard. That's impressive that they, there's so much they let him do. The stuff they doubled him for, I think was a little more of the stuff, for example, where like Jackie had to do an impressive stump off of that. So it probably took more takes for Jackie to do it. And therefore it's like, all right, let's just get Ken Lowe, uh, you know, dressed up to do the doubling. And then, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. It's like you talk about Richard and his timing. Uh, even his mole towel timing though. Yeah. Is really (laughs) good. There's, there's, so there's one sequence where, you know, everyone's boarding the, the, the train or the, uh, the, the train. I'm thinking of under siege two now. Uh, Everyone's boarding the, the boat and, uh, he steps off camera and then he steps back in and he's like, your pants have fallen down again to the to the one guy who's he didn't have a belt. So his like pants keep falling down. It's like a comedy thing. But just the way he like pops back in and I, you know, I'm reading the dub version. Or I'm seeing this dub version, but I'm also reading his lips. It's the timing is so good. He understood Hong Kong timing. And you might be able to argue because he had the acting chops for comedy that that translates to the physical timing and or vice versa but there is a relationship between his comedic timing and spacing understanding for comedy as well as his just his fight timing 100 percent agreed because you also hear foreigners a lot of the time talking about they're always told more bigger more emotion like right whereas in a a, you know american cinema they're taught to be a little more reserved a little more Mm -hmm. realistic here it's like no big expressions like gary daniels talks about that in the behind the scenes as well and he does a great job too like really the the purposeful overacting right and for a like a first time major role for him he does great but you're right richard norton doesn't he just he does it like just like Jackie's the king at physical comedy and the way he uses his face. It's like, yes, it's over the top, but it doesn't feel over the top. It feels natural. And Richard does the same thing, like some of his the facial, the big facial expressions like, oh, you know, it, it just <laughs> yeah. he does it so well. It, it's in it, that is the sign of also being a really good actor that you could take whatever the direction is from your director, someone like Wang Jing, or then more action-based like Jackie, and do what they want you to do at the highest caliber, even if it just seems so absurd. So, uh, Go ahead. No, this is picking up on what you're saying right now. I'm actually going inter- to uh, interpret a little bit for myself because it's speaking to my, to my feelings. This film, if you removed Jackie or Richard, or Gary Daniels. I don't know if I could sit through the whole thing. If you oh, removed yeah. all three, this film is big, kitchen sink. You've got you've got a mole towel humor director master doing grandiose. He's doing his he's doing his. Is it his finest work? It's probably his top five finest work. And then you you add in these three key individuals. Without them, it's not a it's. I don't, I, it's not, I'm not going to say it's not a watchable film. It just wouldn't click. Those Agreed. three make it so special. And yeah, the, the, and with those three being so special, they are also then backed by a great supporting cast, right? Uh, as I mentioned, you know, Ching Mai Yao is great. Uh, Ken Lo has a great, uh, but also some of the humor is very outdated, very misogynistic. Also, mm-hmm. unfortunately, at some points, very homophobic. Uh, like there, there's a part where pretty much Ken Lowe plays one of the uh, terrorists who they, they try to sit, one of the women tries to seduce him and distract him, ends up he's gay and wants to go after, 
uh, one the guy of the whose male pants characters. keep falling down. Yeah, which could have been, you know, which is like a funny gag, but then they take it too far and you're like, oh, okay. And then unfortunately it goes the, the too route Too far? Being... Yes. So <laughs> that's the problem. It's like certain yeah. stuff that gets set up and then it's like, oh, okay, but that was the time. And that was, well, and, and I, you know, it wasn't, it was like homosexuality still would have been a taboo subject uh, in the mainstream of Hong Kong at that time, you know, it's still mm-hmm. kind of hush hush. And then so for them to, have humor that in our current landscape is looked at as being homophobic isn't unheard of at all that it was quite common at that time so it yes and i would say like we even talked about this before we we hit record like a, some of the misogynistic humor even at the time that it was recorded was already dated it and if this had been in in, in the honeymooners we would have bought it a little bit but what what made what makes this movie get a slight pass and what makes the honeymooners get a pass is the the sincerity and the depth which honeymooners for instance of which the characters were played and in this film it's just coming at you left and right every which way and then there's jackie doing what is essentially there's a long period where he's looking for food which is essentially like a silent film it's not there's music yeah, and but there's, it's a there's, gag there's you would have seen. Yeah. It's it's very like his work just elevates the the film and everything else that's happening around. Uh it's I would say if I were to compare it to another film, I actually compare this to Mr. Nice Guy in many ways, where there's this long sequence where he's running and trying to, you know, essentially escape, you know, being caught on board the ship as a stowaway, which he was. And uh while trying to just get any food, even a piece of bread that gets stepped on, that he, or a mouse, liquidy filled. Uh, I was always wondering about yeah, like you, what you is see on it that to bread. Understand what we're talking about, but so and the other interesting part is uh, Jessica was watching it with me last night, and simultaneously as I'm watching this movie for like you know who knows how many times I've seen it, I kind of started to notice for the first time, and she says she's like, "Wow, there's a lot of." you know, violence towards women in this film. And the thing is, because it's done on this very slapsticky like way, you know, a, a lot of the women get like punched or kicked, you know, by the terrorists or this or that. But it's it's done in an extremely cartoonish way, which doesn't excuse any sort of depiction of, you know, domestic violence, which this is not it. It's like a, it's the women in this film. There's some badass characters that dish it out, but then they also take it right. And then there's you know, like Gary Daniels, it, it's it's all done in such a goofy way that, you know, it's not not necessarily that it's an excusable thing. It's just in this cartoonish world. That's exactly what it is. It is like Bugs Bunny-esque. It is Looney Tunes-esque. Yes. Yes. None of the, the, the women are getting hit in a violent way. It's literally like at one point, as I mentioned, when the, the woman's trying to seduce Ken Lowe and then th- that's, <laughs> that's he, he, it's a great performance by him because at first he's kind of receptive to it. Or that's what we think. And then he gets, he's like, and then kicks her away. And that's, for example, he kicks her in the stomach and she goes flying backwards on like uh, a wire, like, ah! it's very, very cartoonish. Yeah. Uh, it's, but it, at, at the same time, real quick. So on the behind the scenes features, Wang Jing was talking about 
uh, when getting this project started, one of the things he felt Jackie's movies lacked was the depth to the female characters, which is what he wanted to bring to this movie. So simultaneously, we have him creating, you know, the strong supporting female cast with Joey Wong playing the assistant, who she herself is also a badass. We find out and get some great little fight sequence beats. We have Ching Maiao who gets to throw down and she's like almost like the Chow Yun-Fat-esque, like shooting guns and, you know, judo throws and this and that. Uh, so it's interesting that his whole goal was to create supposedly stronger female characters, yet at the same time have them subjected to cartoonish violence. That, you know, that's so interesting that that is his take. It almost reminds me of an interview Michael Winner did when talking about Death Wish 2 or 3. Uh, and I can't re recall exactly, but essentially what they're trying to do and that it's it go it's it's essentially the way the audience receives it is the exact opposite because it doesn't seem like there's necessarily a lot of depth they're just a lot of women and some of them can dish it out and some of them get hit but of course again like it's all in the in the name of humor and comedic timing and the timing's good and everything but at the same time if you're watching you're like up oh. um uh, and then for him to and it's funny though because it, as you as you reflect back on like the female leads in Jackie Chan's films a lot of times they are supporting roles or supporting supporting roles and the exceptions are Anita Mui and Miracles and Michelle Yeoh and Supercop mm -hmm. uh, where these characters are strong have depth and the film essentially revolves around so much of their presence so Wang Jin wasn't off in saying that the women in Jackie Chan's films might not have a lot of depth at least up to that point 1993 Miracles being the exception uh, but and maybe, maybe also uh, Wheels on Meals. Yeah, well, Lola Forner in both yeah. uh, Armor of God and Wheels, a little bit, right? And so it's not, once again, it's kind of a, a you know, blanket statement, but uh, that doesn't necessarily apply. But I get what he's saying, especially, yeah. you know, like even Maggie Chung, you know, from in Super the Cop 1 to, to Super Cop, her character kind of goes on this trajectory of, you know, less... Not necessarily less important. She actually gets a little bit more in Super Cop too. But I, I get where he was coming from. It's just kind of funny that then that's how you display it, right? Like, yes, agreed. And, you know, even watching the interview, he talks about how he had a good time shooting it. And, you know, it was, you know, fun working with Jackie. Uh, you know, there's a lot of rumors that supposedly the animosity between the two of them was just, it got to a boiling point. And that's why they, like, you know, they hated each other. And afterwards, that's why in High Risk, the Jet Li movie, Wong Jing directed shortly thereafter, he spoofs Jackie Chan, pretty much the uh, one of the, the main co-stars to Jet Li's character played by Jackie Chung is a parody of Jackie Chan yes. insinuating a lot of falsehoods about uh, or insinuating that a lot of the truths about him are actually uh, false and that he's a phony and this and that. So, but I mean, who knows? Because I feel like Wang Jing would have done that about a person he like was good friends with, too. So I think that was just maybe his style of humor. But uh, yeah. I mean, and obviously the working relationship could have possibly worked out because as everyone said in the behind the, the scenes uh, interviews, Gary Daniels, Richard Norton, uh, Rocky Lai, one of the Jackie Chan stunt team members, Wong Jing was like, you know, he did everything non-action. And then when it was an action sequence, I think as Gary Daniels said, he would just disappear. In fact, Jackie, not only was Jackie directing a lot of the action sequences, uh, some of his stunt boys directed some of them directly too. And that's why I think it was, they had Rocky Lai, that Rocky Lai interview on there because he directed, he was talking about two of the sequence specifically, the the car dealing fight 
you know, Richard Norton is at the table with uh, mm -hmm. the God of Gamblers, if you will. And so, yeah, obviously, Wang Jing was kind of absentee during that period. And even even when it comes to a lot of, as you said, the outdated humor, it's funny because Richard Norton talked about it as did Gary Daniels. There was no working script. Surprise, surprise. Very commonplace for Hong Kong cinema at that time. But on some mornings, Richard Norman would be on set getting ready or whatever, it's makeup, and he'd hear Wong Jing laughing in the corner just hysterically, and he'd look over, he's like, what is going on? And it was Wong Jing writing the script for that day and just laughing at his own jokes because he well, thought they were so funny. <laughs> wouldn't it be nice to be like that? Yeah, where you exactly. can just write like, your script, laugh, ah, hey, let's go shoot this. It's it's like kind of like John Shum in Wheels on Meals in the Insane yes. Asylum, right? Where he's laughing at his own jokes and then, uh, what's the matter? He's heard, he's heard that joke before. <laughs> No, I, I think uh, I, it's funny because it's e even just uh, you were talking about the car dealing scene, that that little stunt that Richard did where he like falls back. Yeah. And you see it, Tim. The timing. That's not an easy stunt. No. Timing no. and also impact and then getting right back up. And I love the glasses fly. But uh, I think this movie has some cool training sequences and cool fights. So, and that's interesting because in Gary Daniels' interview, he wasn't even supposed to have his intro sequence. He was originally supposed to be there with Richard Norton and the other cronies as they walk on the boat and the guy's pants drop and that whole, and that was, that was going to be it. But he was in, he had just arrived in Salt Lake City because uh, he was going to be shooting the movie Nights, uh, okay. the Albert Pune film with Chris Christopherson, Kathy Long, uh -huh. hey, Coach Cat. Uh, and then that's when he got the call. Uh, to go do that movie uh, and he let Albert Pune know who knew who Jackie was and I was like, all right, this is an amazing opportunity. You got to go do it. Let's rework your shooting schedule and they actually cut uh, out. He was supposed to have more scenes in that film but he's like, look, uh, you know, I reworked the shooting schedule but I'm going to have to cut you out of some of the movie. We're going to double you uh, but go do it and Richard and Gary's like, oh, thank you. So he went to go do it but it was a little late so he missed that. So instead, they devised his whole opening training sequence which is awesome. It is, uh, I mean, first of all, you see uh, his physique on full display, just incredible, and his martial arts abilities. And he, J uh, Gary talked about how Jackie directed that sequence also and choreographed like his movements for him. But he said, it's interesting. So pretty much Gary Daniels is in, uh, he's in briefs, black briefs, or, you know, if they're white, we'd call them whitey tidies, but they're just straight up traditional black briefs. He's doing some uh, chest press machine and his... Uh, uh, room on the, the cruise ship. Then he does a very impressive roll over the bed into a very full splits in which he's like stretching side to side. Then he comes up out of the splits. Now they may have filmed that in reverse, I think, but, and Possibly. then from, the, from there, he does a bunch of shadow boxing and kicks, then does some kind of traditional Kung Fu. Keep in mind, underwear the whole time, just pumped to the gills. Then he just starts doing some crazy Taekwondo style kicks. And that's his like intro training sequence. And he talked about how that was one of the most exhausting things he's ever done on film because once again, 20, 30 takes for Hong Kong cinema. So it's like, yeah, go down the splits. No problem. I can do that. Now come up out of the splits. Now go down into the splits. Now come out of the splits. And he just said doing that. And then, okay, now that we just did that, you have to do a jump spinning kick. Okay, good. Now do it 20 more times. He just said his legs were like jello by the end. And it was so exhausting. I bet uh, it's, you know, um, I think the first time like, you hear Richard Norton talk about his first time shooting a Hong Kong film, which was uh, Twinkle, Twinkle, Lucky Stars. Yes. Yeah. Um, and just about how the exhaustion he experienced the first time, the exhaustion that a lot of actors experienced the first time, particularly working with a Sammo Hung or a Jackie Chan, uh, the, the time that they get to spend making these scenes 
the best they can be is just uh it's a, it is it is literally a full-time gig it's a 40-hour work week and um you know it's funny because these are the sequences that we remember these are the sequences that we show to friends if ever we want to show oh let me show you something gary daniels did if i'm going to show someone somebody some gary daniels work it's going to be from this film or it's going to be from uh blood moon just or i mean if i really want to show off what he can do it's it's going to be this sequence that probably caused a lot of pain and we should talk about probably the two uh, well and also uh, we haven't even mentioned so Jackie and Gary have a first like kickboxing confrontation, which is a great kind of, it's funny, Gary talked about when they filmed it, he thought it was this serious fight scene. Then you watch it in the movie and it's got like Keystone Cops music, like, mm-hmm. dun, 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 and it's very kind of uh, slapstick-esque, but it's still mm-hmm. a very impressive sequence. Now, that's one of the ones where you see that Gary Daniels is doubled for a lot of that fight by Ken Lowe. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, it's just the way it is with rhythm and timing and, you know, uh, even size wise, you know, they may have needed somebody a little more lean and mean agility wise. Uh, but then there's one of the most famous sequences of this film is when Jackie and Gary Daniels fight the second time in the video game room on the ship in which after crashing into uh, Street Fighter 2 Turbo, uh, they all get turned into Street Fighter characters, two little supporting goofy comedy characters. And then Gary Daniels becomes Ken and then Jackie becomes E Honda uh, and they have a very goofy like trying to replicate the actual like side-scrolling fight sequence. Mm-hmm. He gets defeated as E Honda and then turns into Chun-Li, uh, which is where people may have seen those pictures on the internet or even the the gifs of Jackie as Chun-Li. That's where this comes from. And th- they replicate a lot of the Street Fighter moves. So it is not to be taken seriously at all. It is not a uh, technically good fight sequence. It is just a really fun, goofy scene uh, in which then Jackie defeats uh, him as Chun-Li. And they they have the sound effects from the video game in there, the moves, the the actual like impact sound effects. So uh, that's one of the most famous sequences in this film. And then the finale with Richard Norton, that fight sequence is... It's, and it's, is, it is a nice extended it's fight nice. sequence. It's extended, it's long, it's got weapons, it's got hand-to-hand, it's got serious moments, it's got a ton of comedy, but throughout the, the choreography is great. Richard was kind of joking in the behind-the-scenes thing how, although he has some escrima and like, you know, Filipino martial arts training because he has the two sticks throughout. It was just him like whacking the crap out of Jackie. There was no rhyme or reason to the technique. But... It's it's a very, as you said, extended, fun, hard-hitting, goofy, you know, they have moments of serious, like, you know, punch, block, block, punch, kick, kick, like there's a triple kick, there's this and that. Then there's moments, as I briefly mentioned before, where, you know, Richard Norton's trying to hit him with the sticks and Jackie's like moonwalking and like, you know, dancing out of the way mm-hmm. and uh, it, and also replicating a bit of uh, like Charlie Chaplin in that yes. sequence too. So uh yeah, I just wanted to make sure we briefly touched on those three fights because those would be like the three big Jackie fights in the movie, which as a young man always stood out to me too, especially that Gary Daniels one, uh, especially when I couldn't see as much of him being doubled, right? You're just like, whoa. And it's not, it's not a takeaway from Gary Daniels at all because look how many many people are, you know, double. He even talked about his frustration where it was like, oh, it would take him like 20 takes sometimes to do this one kick. And then like Wang Jing told him, he's like, why do you feel bad? Sometimes it takes Jackie a hundred takes, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and you know, it's all about perfection. So if they feel they're going to get the best shot by doubling you from behind and stuff, then that's what they're going to do. And you know, obviously Gary Daniels was born to play Ken from Street Fighter. Aside from the British accent. You know, absolutely. It's, it's, um, 
Those three fight sequences are fantastic. There are also some group fight sequences. Uh, so before Jackie fights Richard, uh, he teams up with uh, the one of the ladies. Uh, Ching Maiao, the, the detective? Yeah, okay. Yeah, and, and there's there's the whole sequence where he's like spinning her around. Oh, yeah. Just, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of physicality throughout. There's also the sequences where Jackie is running from the henchmen. It's just there's there's physicality throughout the film, which is why I say in many ways Jackie's performance in, in this physically mirrors his performance in Mr. Nice Guy, where he is always on the move, always jumping, sliding, uh, fighting in a movie theater while Bruce Lee and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar fight on the big screen, and then he's fighting two giants. Yes, you know, which, so, which is a fun sequence too. And it, he, it is. He's fighting two very tall, large uh, black gentlemen. Uh, I, I'm not sure where they're from, so I don't know if they're African American. I don't know if they're you know European uh, uh, of, of African descent. But anyway, uh, so he doesn't know how to beat them because they're so massive. These guys are huge. They're at least like six, seven or so. And so he watches Bruce Lee up on the screen. It's a great bit of intertextuality and uh, reflexiveness of the martial arts genre where he's watching Bruce fight Kareem. Then he'll use those moves on these guys. Yes. Uh, and so that's a, a good little fun bit, too. And in many ways, this is the closest we probably ever got as an audience to Jackie in a Bruce Ploistation. No, New Fist of Fury. Well, new, yeah. But I mean, okay. like, we, uh, thank you for that correction. But I mean, what I mean, what I mean to say is with him in control. I, so I, like, I, I like I like that interpreter. It's like the closest we ever saw to him doing a Enter the Fat Dragon, like yes. Sammo doing a Bruce Bloitation, but paying homage to Bruce, not exploiting him. Yeah, it's like Skinny Tiger, Fatty Dragon to an extent. Yes, yes. Where so it's 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 nice to see that, and it's nice I, because I think I know Jackie fought that that for such a long time to be he fought to be his own person for such a long time that by the 90s he was clearly by the 80s probably by 83 he was his own person but by the 90s to be able to do that homage with bruce lee in the background and kareem abdul jabbar in the background i think that's it was a it's a very cool sequence it's not his best sequence against giants i think his best sequence against giants is in first strike in a hotel Uh, room yes but it's a pretty good sequence. Yeah. Or even the fight sequence in the aquarium against the giant henchman. Oh, yes. yes. Yeah, that one's... And that, man, I wish that would have been a more extended fight because that one is... A, it's short, but that's a good one too. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, that's that's this movie in a nutshell. It may seem like a lot, and guess what it is? It is all over the place. Uh, but for as crazy and chaotic as it is, it does technically have like a cohesive narrative that goes, you know, that's consistent throughout. And uh we get our climax, we get our, uh, and then unlike a lot of Hong Kong martial arts films, we actually get the coming off the cli- the climax, right? Like the, mm-hmm. the opposite of the rising action, we get the falling action where we actually get to decompress afterwards and there is a little post. You know, this film could have easily ended on the cruise ship as the helicopters are flying. But in fact, Jessica thought it was and started to get up. I was like, uh-huh. oh, no, no, no. We have a little bit afterwards because obviously Hong Kong, action films and martial arts films are notorious for like even the final death strike against the master at the end of the Kung Fu movie. And then it freeze frames and the end pops up. I can't tell you how many times I've watched with friends where they're like, who aren't familiar with the genre. They're like, wait, what the hell? Like what? It can't end like that. I'm like, Oh, Oh yes, it can. Yes, it just (laughs) did deal with it sucker. But uh, this ends with a very, it ends. I hate to say it, but I'm going to do it. Pulling a page out of the, out of the manga with, uh, with Kaoru. 
Oh, the hammer, the, the and, large yeah, yeah. hammer over uh, the city hunter's head. City hunter, city hunter. I will say one of my key, my very first notes, and it kind of harkens back to our soundtrack episode, is this might be one of, it feels like it's a completely original soundtrack. Now, when I say feels like, it definitely takes riffs from other films, but it feels like it was shot. Now, it was my qu- composed for this. So this is a question I have for you real quick because you didn't mention it. When was the first time you watched it? And does the Japanese version have a different soundtrack? Because on the Blu-ray is a special feature. It has the Japanese ending credits, which has a rock song playing instead, not the City Hunter theme that we get. So did they still have that City Hunter theme or was it uh, rock music So I throughout? remember like the, the the opening song. Ah, okay, Sorry. so it's the same. It's part, of, yeah. part of my... Uh, Having uh, fun. Da, da, yeah. Da, da, da. yeah. So that's what I remember. And it, yes, the very first time I saw it, I was back in Japan for like a summer vacation. My, you know, my mother still had her school over there and I rented it on uh, VHS tape. Okay. So, I, so that's maybe the first just time the, I saw it. Maybe just the end credits had that rock song. It could be, but also I believe that there were outtakes. I mean, I, I've, there's so many different versions. And I will yeah. say, like, this is very much like when we sat down and watched The Protector, the U.S. version, the Hong Kong version. They start, And then I'm like, wait a minute. That's, yeah. I didn't quite, I saw more of a blend, which was the Japanese version. So for me to remember the VHS tape and how it's different, it's a, I'd have to do a little more deep dive on that. No worries. Anyway, that's this film. Uh, we highly recommend it. Great movie. Uh so for Language Corner, which I didn't prepare either this whole time, I was like, what should I do that I haven't taught us yet? So I thought of a good one. So one of the running gags all the way up to the end is how hungry City Hunter is because he can't find any food. So I figured I would just tell you how to say hungry. It is extremely simple. Uh, uh, yeah, just uh, well, uh, Dila means I'm extremely hungry. So like, you know, well, uh, means like, oh, I'm hungry. So it's literally just, as far as pinion goes, it's just the letter E, like, uh, and then it's the final, the chopping down tone. Well, er. Yeah, you could say, and then like, so for example, and this is actually an interesting one though, because in my textbook, it has it as this, and my teacher, I remember her telling me like, oh, okay, you could say, well, er, jila, because jila means extremely. So it's literally saying, I hungry extremely, like I'm extremely hungry. And I remember saying that to my coach, my Sanda coach after learning this, and he told me in English, oh no, you you cannot say that. That is not a right Chinese. And I was so confused. I went back and told my teacher and she's like, yeah, it is. And I, in my textbook, it has it in there too. And so maybe it's regionally, it's different. Yeah. Once again, that's one of the hard things about learning Chinese. <laughs> you know, it's like it, they, they sp- it's spoken differently throughout China in a much more extreme way than like, you know, English throughout America or even comparison to the UK. But yeah, just it's that simple. Uh, uh. Yep. Yep. So there we go. Thank you. All right. Thank you, my man. So once again, after this one, we'll probably be biweekly for a minute, but who knows? Maybe we'll, if we have time, we record, we drop it, but we'll, we're going to plan for biweekly. Uh, and yeah, this has been fun. Uh, we'll talk soon. Sounds good, my man.